All right, Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Let us continue and um, in this series. And um, we are now looking at and focusing on our walk in Christ. Uh, I know that we are familiar with it as I've broken it up into the fact that we sit, walk and stand, sit taking the place of the first three chapters doctrinally uh, and our position in Christ. We are seated and it's imperative that as a new Christian we understand our position uh, that we are seated with Christ, raised with him in heavenly places and so it's glorious, glorious truths. But then Paul shifts to the practical side of things in chapter 4 and, um, and that is captured by this aspect of walk. And it's interesting as you read chapter 4, especially in 5, how many times there's exhortations and instructions that relate to walk, walk, walk. And there's a huge emphasis that is uh, being made there. And so remember the key thought that we established last week in chapter 4 is that we would walk worthy of the Lord. Walk worthy before the Lord in an acceptable manner, fully pleasing him as we find. And we looked at the first six verses which related to the first real exhortation which is to walk in unity, to um, uh, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And so this is the first thing that Paul em- emphasises in his instruction And so really, as we look at verse 7 onwards this morning, we will begin to identify he's building upon the same thought uh, as he elaborates further in this particular chapter. And what's also interesting is he moves from stating about the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace and then we'll capture this new phrase that we'll find in these verses and that is the unity of the faith. It's still the issue of unity of the faith. And so this is important for us to understand when we talk about the unity of the faith. Paul is talking about the agreement that is to be made in our doctrine and our understanding of the truths of the, of the, of the, of the Word of God and how it relates to practical living as well when we talk about the unity of faith in the way in which in what we believe and how we live because what we believe affects how we live. Amen. And there is a practical outflow uh, to that in the practical living and practical side of things. And uh, Paul's emphasis is on righteousness and holiness in our walk, walking in a manner that's worthy and acceptable before the Lord. But you see, one of the things we identify with Paul the Apostle in the Scriptures is that Paul was a man who, who had a great uh, emphasis and interest and, uh, and ministry in teaching the faith. He would even write, as he wrote in Jude, that he, oh no, sorry, um, Jude wrote there, but as it states in Jude, but the, we see this in Paul's life, that he contend earnestly for the faith. In actual fact, you see this throughout his epistles and even at the end of his life as he writes to Timothy, he says, I have run the race. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. It was something that he sought to persevere, uh, preserve. It was something that he sought to elaborate and teach on and establish the unity of the faith. And anything that came in contradiction of that, he sought vehemently to contend against and to oppose, uh, uh, to uphold the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, in doctrine and in practice. 
because the two are connected. So it's unity of the faith that we will consider as well as other things in this particular text. See, Paul the Apostle was one who pursued unity and peace. But at the same time, he was one that contended for the faith. In actual fact, in dealing with the Corinthians and, and writing to them, and remember, there was a, there was a, um, a carnal divisions that were manifesting amongst the assembly of which Paul himself uh, uh, criticised and said was utterly wrong because it was of the flesh. And he said to him in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So here is a divisions, and here uh, that are amongst the Corinthians that's affecting the unity of the spirit and the unity of the faith. But this is carnal. This is of the flesh. But yet he would state later, as he pr- uh, processes these things, he would say in First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse nineteen: "For there must be factions." Or divisions, or the word here actually means heresy, or t- which means a choice or disunion. He says, For there must be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognised among you. So there is a, there is a, uh, a commendable uh, aspect to this side of it because as we seek to contend earnestly for the faith, as we so- seek uh, unity of the faith, uh, it is imperative that it is grounded and rooted in the truth of God's word. And where that is compromised, where error comes in, then there must be factions because, uh, so that that which is right can be approved. Choices sometimes have to be made. And sometimes it leads to disassociation, a disunion, because it compromises the unity of the spirit, it compromises the unity of the faith and the doctrines and truths that are surrounded. And this is spiritual, this is commendable, this is a good thing. But it has to be of the spirit, not of the flesh, because where the flesh manifests, there's nothing but carnality, divisions, envy and strife. So you can see there's these distinctions. But my point is, uh, is that Paul is uh, intent on establishing unity and unity of the spirit in the bond of peace and also unity of the faith as we will identify in a moment. But you see, to achieve this unity, it's going to take more than just men. Amen? It's not something that's going to be achieved just in and of ourselves because we know what human nature is like. We looked at this last week, we touched upon it. There's realities that relate to uh, our own our flesh, our own human nature, our own biases, our own prejudices, our own uh, personality traits, hang-ups and, and you name it, whatever else gets in the way that uh, can, can hinder these things. But yet uh, God uh, is, uh, is working towards a unity of the faith and a unity of the spirit and so God has made provision. Now listen here, God has made provision to accomplish this because God realises it's, it's got to be something more than just him saying it. And this is what this text begins to talk about as we 
begin to identify with it. So let's look. The unity of the spirit and the unity of the faith can only be achieved by a process of maturity. Maturity, growing into Christ. And this relates individually and corporately as a body. So let's read it from verse number 7. Paul writes and he says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is the head, Christ, in whom or from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So here, Paul is showing us how this unity of the spirit, how the bond of peace, how the unity of the faith and how Christian maturity is going to come about because God realises the need and he has made provision for that need and it it relates to the issue of spiritual gifts. You see, God has established spiritual gifts in order to achieve his purpose and that is the, that we would be grounded and rooted in truth, that Christ would be formed in our lives, that we would grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ. And so they're talking about to a perfect man, we're talking about Christian maturity, that we would grow up because when we, are, when we become Christians, the fact is, is that Paul refers to us that we are babes in Christ. And we are just to desire the pure milk of God's word that we may grow thereby. But you see, a child can't eat milk forever. Can you say amen? You have to grow into solid food and that's part of the Hebrews where it talks about this maturing process that is necessary, that is part of the Christian life that we must go on to maturity or perfection is the word, but the two mean the same thing, maturity. And so it's in light of that uh, that Paul is uh, addressing these things and he says in verse 6, as we referred to last week, there's one God, one Father of all, who is above all and through you all and in you all. See, God is in control. God is at work. God is in us. He's amongst us. He's in, in working through us to a particular end. And Paul, in stating this walking worthy, to walk in unity, he shifts in verse 7 when he says, but, he's carrying his thought through, but to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. God's provision. 
God's provision is spiritual gifts to accomplish His purpose, that is to the edifying of the body of Christ, to bring us to maturity in Christ Jesus. This is important. And so, uh, in doing so, Paul is touching upon each one of us individually. Each of us uh, have, been re- have received grace uh, and according to the measure of Christ's gift, uh, we ourselves, amen, have received gifts. Paul, will, Paul is speaking in the general sense here about the, each of us uh, and uh, we find this more so elaborated in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where it talks about the spiritual gifts and it talks about the body and it talks about how each of us have a part in that body. In actual fact, it deals with it extensively and Paul would even tell us in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 11 but one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. So God, through His Spirit, has distributed individually to you and I spiritual gifts, various giftings that are there not for ourselves, amen, but for the purpose of God and to give glory to God and to accomplish the plan and purpose of God for us. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit you were all baptised into one body. This is the things that we were identified previously in Ephesians. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit, for in fact the one body, for in fact the body is not one member but many. So many of us, here we are even today, each of us have spiritual gifts for the purpose of God's, for the edification of the body of Christ. But Paul here is identifying some other aspects that are associated within the context of this ministry and he's going to highlight various gifts as we'll see in just a moment. But he begins to elaborate in verse 8 through to verse 10. We're not going to go into the depths of that, but basically what is being said here, Paul is telling us that Christ, having descended from heaven and having accomplished the work of redemption and the death of the cross and having died and being buried and resurrected and then ascended into heaven as in the fulfilment of his ministry, having led captivity captive, the Bible says he gave gifts to men he gave gifts to men and those gifts that have been distributed and are distributed by the spirit as he wills is for the purpose of the edifying of the body of Christ for spiritual development and so he these are these are the things and it says in verse 11 they are mentioned these are specific gifts to accomplish this unity. In verse 11, and he himself, now there are five gifts that are identified. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And so here, uh, the thought again is very clear, the apostles and the function that they uh, have in establishing the foundation of the church it is built on the apostles and prophets and the prophets 
<coughs> again, that, are, that we find in Scripture that are there and they're being used by God, gifted by God for that particular purpose. In terms of evangelists, uh, they are there to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and see people uh, come unto salvation and they fulfil a function in that process of the new birth and leading people to Christ. <coughs> Pastors who are shepherds, there to lead the flock, to feed the flock and to be, fulfil a part of that ministry of spiritual maturity to, to feed the flock. And then you have teachers, again, who have a specific gifting of teaching in relation to uh, unveiling and teaching various things in the Bible in such a way having been gifted by God, that we receive that identification. But these five gifts that are identified here by Paul are part of the process by which we, as the church, will be matured. Now look at what he says in verse 12. For this is the purpose of these ministries, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. You see, the work of the ministry is not to the pastor or to the evangelist or to the special you know, uh, teacher or whatever. They have their unique gifting and purpose in the body of Christ. But the purpose, uh, the Bible says, is that we would be equipped as God's people for the work of the ministry ourselves. And so it must be highlighted again, we have gifts, we, have, we are to be equipped, we are to fulfil the work of the ministry and for the, so the saints are to be equipped for the work of the ministry in all of its various contexts and for this it says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So this is the end that's in, in mind, the edifying and spiritual development of the body of Christ that we would go on to maturity, that we would understand and have clear understanding. And not only that, with the various giftings uh, that we have, we can uh, minister to them to one another, we can serve one another, and by doing so, we're all receiving from one another, which results in the edifying of the body. This is what is being put forward, so that we can serve for service. You see, the word edify here, edifying of the body of Christ, it literally means, in the Greek, it means an architecture. It means a structure, a building. And when you think about that level, so you're talking about a construction. So the edifying, the construction. And isn't it interesting because Paul would use these analogies because uh, he even says uh, that it, to the Corinthians, uh, he says, I am a wise master builder and I, lay the I laid the foundation. But let him take heed how him who builds on it. Because, you know, there was Paul, there was Apollos uh, and Peter and others who had ministered into the assembly and amongst the people. And so, uh, but he says about himself uh, that he was the master, uh, master builder. That was because of the grace of God that was given to him. He says to the Corinthians uh, that you are God's building. And uh, even in Ephesians, we saw, we saw it ourselves where it says in chapter 3, it says, in whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is the same thought that's being carried right now in chapter 4. But now we're seeing it practically how it's achieved. Through spiritual gifts, 
through serving, through ministering to one another. That's why to be active in the church and amongst the people of God is so critically important. Every one of us has a role to play. (coughs) You see, there's so much that we can consider further going into verse 13. Let's look. It's all the whole issue of the work equipping, being equipped for the work of service or ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, there's much that's contained just in that verse alone. And... There are three key thoughts that Paul is identifying and he's talking about unity, he's talking about maturity and he's talking about conformity. And we'll see that contained just within the thought of itself but let's just see the first issue here being unity till we all come to the unity of the faith. You see this is so important, the unity of the faith. Now, again, Paul's emphasis in, in till we come, it's, 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 a, it's a process. It's a development. It's a, it's a maturing process. And so we, haven't, we can't all say, yeah, we've fully arrived. Actually, we won't fully arrive until the day we come to be with Christ. Amen. But this is where we're heading. This is where we're working towards. This is what God is doing. And so there's the unity of the faith uh, and he says here, uh, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You see, you have to have a revelation and understand who Jesus is. So many people in the world think they know who Jesus is but they have no idea who Jesus is. You hear them talk about Jesus and there's no comprehension, no revelation and even amongst the, the, the people of God, we're born, in, born again, we're, we're babes in Christ but even still our knowledge of Christ can be very limited. That's why Paul at the beginning of Ephesians would pray that our understanding would be enlightened, that we would come to a greater knowledge a recognition and understanding of who Christ is. And so when we talk about the unity of faith, it is, you cannot separate it from the reality of who Jesus is, what he has done and what he's required and what it all means. You see, that's why we can't have fellowship with other... Uh, you know, how many people say, well, I believe in Jesus, but their doctrine is so fundamentally opposed to the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And what they teach it contradicts those scriptures and so as a result there must be faction, there must be division, there must be disunion because we cannot associate with those things. That's why Paul would write to the Galatians and they were, uh, <coughs> they were coming to the church to try and uh, corrupt uh, um, and impose the law of Moses uh, upon these new Christians uh, and in doing so Paul would go as far to say that they're preaching another Jesus uh, or another gospel because they weren't speaking according to truth. The unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God is critically important to that unity. That's what Paul is talking about. It has to be based on the, a knowledge of the truth. And Paul would not compromise that truth. 
He would not compromise for a moment the gospel. And neither should we for the sake... You know, people say, oh, well, it's all about unity. Is it? It is, yeah, absolutely. It's about the unity of the faith. And if the faith, as, as the faith is defined in this book, if it's contradicting the fundamentals of the faith, then there must be division. Say, so, well, that's, that, 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 that's not harsh. That's exactly how it is. That's exactly how Paul went about it. See, there's unity of the Spirit, and, that has to, and, and we want the purity and integrity of that, but we don't want to compromise it. And so... <clears throat> these things are important when we talk about the unity of the, of, of, uh, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So, we move on because Paul would talk now not just on the basis of unity but now he's also referring to the issue of maturity in verse 13. He says uh, that we would uh, come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. A perfect man. Now let's be honest. None of us are perfect. None of us have reached perfection. And, um, and we can acknowledge that. But you know what? One day we will be perfected. One day we know we will. So we are work till we come. So it's progressive uh, and it's coming and we will be perfected. But the thing that's being identified here, this word per- to perfect uh, means maturity. Or actually, it doesn't actually mean maturity. I'm, I've got myself confused. Well, it incorporates maturity, but in actual fact, it's talking about a progressive completion uh, of, of spiritual growth and development until we're perfected. So it incorporates maturity, but maturity comes a little later in the word stature. But the same thought is being ela- uh, uh, elaborated for us. But you see. <coughs> Maturity is in view. And one of the things that we must realise is that Christians cannot afford to stay in a state of immaturity as, as, as believers. That's why in Hebrews it, it brings a stark rebuke upon the Christians who have, who have remained in a, sta- a state of immaturity and have not progressed. And because, because, you see, part of the Christian life is we're, all, we're walking, we're constantly moving forward. We're not to be in a state of just stagnation. That's why you can meet Christians who have been uh, Christians for 20 years uh, and they, uh, they, just, they, they look like they're stunted and stagnated in their growth. They haven't gone on to maturity for various reasons and yet you can meet uh, younger Christians who have only been Christians for you know, short uh, months or years even and yet they have progressed further and onto that, uh, that path of maturity, to a perfect man. This is, so the issue of immaturity is, uh, is not, uh, uh, not, not, not commendable because we are not to remain in a state of immaturity. It's as simple as that. A person must mature in Christ. They must understand the foundation of Christ. They must grow in understanding the doctrines, uh, the fundamental doctrines of the New Testament. Uh, and above all, they must understand how to live and walk, which is exactly the emphasis that Paul is making, how to walk and live as a Christian. This forms the basis of walking worthy before the Lord, going on to maturity. And the truth is, uh, is that we never fully arrive in that sense but when Christ comes, amen, 
we will be perfected. We will see him as he is and we will be as he is, the scripture says. And whether that be in death, whether that be in his return, amen. Uh, um, uh, well, in his return, the dead in Christ shall rise first and then those that are alive and remain shall be called up to meet him in the air and amen, it shall, we shall be transformed. So there's the issue of maturity. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 13, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the issue of conformity. Remember, unity, maturity and conformity. We have to conform to Christ. See, this is of extreme importance to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That word, to the measure. And again, we are growing into this. But that measure is Christ. And we are to grow into Christ. And this is being, we are being conformed into his image, as it would tell us in Romans. And this is what Paul laboured towards in laying a foundation of Christ. And he said to the, to the uh, Galatians, until Christ is formed in you. See, this is the emphasis, growing into the measure of Christ, because he's that measure, to be like him. And then we are growing into, uh, into the stature, which is again the maturity that is associated with, with, with uh, conforming to his image and being like him. Now the truth is again, we're growing into the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so what's interesting is that uh, we, this is why we have to learn to walk. Paul will elaborate this further in the, in the next verses when he talks about the practical aspects of, of the new man and walking in righteousness and holiness which is associated with the walk. Of course, again, because it's internal and it's external. But you see, we have to learn to grow in these areas. Because let's, let's be honest, church, the practical aspect of how we live is very, very important. It's one thing, you know, you, you, it's, again, they say you can talk the talk, but you've got to walk the walk. <laughs> and really, that captures the essence of what we're talking about. But you see, we learn to walk, you know. And so, uh, it's a process of growing into Christ. The measure is Christ. Uh, that's the standard. And so, <clears throat> we, are, we, are, we are working towards that through the work of God's Spirit, through the edifying of the body, through the giftings of, that God has distributed as we serve and minister uh, one of, to one another. This growth is, is happening. We're growing into completion. We are progressively growing into Christ. And this can't be underestimated. This is a huge emphasis of the Christian life. You know, again, in Colossians, Paul would state the fact that, that we are complete in him, that we are filled to the fullness in him. That's our position. But yet, uh, we have to grow into... We're being told here in verse 13 that we have to, to grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So how does it work? We have it, but yet we're growing into it. And so, again, this captures the essence of, 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 of the walk that we're talking about. And the truth is, is that uh, um, uh, I can just um, illustrate it this way in the Old Testament. The promised land is, a, is, is symbolic of Christ. 
and when uh, God, they, the children of Israel had received their inheritance, the promised land was theirs, but they then had to go in and possess it. And so there's this aspect, an idea of possession, that is very, very important for the Christian as we grow into maturity, as we grow into that fullness. But yet it's already ours. But yet we have to have that knowledge of it. We have to realise it. We have to appropriate it. And that comes about as we are edified and as we develop spiritually and grow in maturity. These things, how these things are obtained. And so this is what the word stature means. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Stature meaning maturity and the fullness of Christ, meaning the completion of Christ. And as I said before, that fullness will ultimately be completed when we are with him. Think about, for example, let me illustrate this further. In Romans, the Bible tells us that, that uh, we are still waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. We are waiting for the redemption of the body. But yet we know it's already part of the package. It's our inheritance. But the Bible says we have the first fruits of the Spirit. So we, are, so we already have a down payment, amen? We already have a guarantee. We already have the Spirit of God in us. So we already are in Him complete, but yet we are yet to be completed. So it's this idea of already, but not yet. We already have the fullness, amen? But yet we are not fully completed yet. And so this is the issue of maturity. By faith we begin to understand these concepts, these doctrines, these truths of the New Testament and that's why we can sing some of the songs we sing and talk about the victory. Because uh, what is it that overcomes our wor- uh, the world? Our faith. Our faith because we are convinced faith sees. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith and faith already has possession. Amen. Because we know. We are convinced and that's how we live and this is all part of, the matu- of, the, of manifesting Christian maturity. And so, there we find it, that we would walk in unity, we would walk in maturity and we would walk in conformity to Christ. Now he talks in verse 14, by which he gives us, uh, I guess, a, uh, uh, a warning and he says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness of deceitful plottings. You see, when we are not matured, the fact is is that there are inherent dangers that are associated with that. And Paul says we can't remain as children tossed to and fro because, you know, the, the, the idea being they're immature, They've not matured, they're not established, they're not grounded and rooted and the result is, is that they, children get tossed, or immature people get tossed around to and fro with every wind of doctrine. And that we see that in the church in the modern age. You know, there's this, you know, there's, you know God's, move, God's moving here or God, you know, some new doctrine here or some new move of the Spirit here and all of these things that uh, blow throughout the church and, you know, so many people run to and fro because they want to get a part and be a part of it. Why do you have to go over there to get it? You already have it. Yeah, uh, because children are tossed to and fro. But the mature, what are you talking about? I'm all, I've got it. I don't need to go get it. 
You see? So we're not tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine that blows around because we understand what is written in the Word. I have a relationship with God. Christ is in me. Amen. And so uh, we're, we're grounded in these things. We're not moved. And so that's the idea that Paul's highlighting because, again, it's a, it's a danger. It's a reality that happens. When Christians remain immature, they're basically, they remain in a, in a, in a place of, in, un, they're unstable. And being unstable, they become gullible. And Christians, for some reason, you know, that's, who was it that said sheep, sheep are dumb? <laughs> and really, there's a truth to it, isn't there? I, my father-in-law's got a farm in, in, my in-law's in central Victoria, they've got sheep. Oh, and lambs, I just watch them. And I tell you, they don't, look the, they don't look that smart, I have to be honest. I'm not a farmer, I've got no idea, but I have observed them and I tell you what, gee, they're dumb. I look at them and they're just, they're just sheep. They just, it's just like, is there any wit there? Is there what's going on in there, you know? <laughs> but that's what can happen. Sheep can be uh, easily frightened and uh, they, can, they, they can be spooked and they, you know, they're very vulnerable. And that's how we are. That's why we have to be established in these things. Maturity. So let's go on to verse 15. Because remember, we're talking about this equipping, we're talking about this development, this progressive aspect of maturity in the Christian life. Now look at how it's going to come about. It says, "But by speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into all things, into him who is the head, Christ. And so this is the speaking the truth in love. One man once said to me, because I can, you know, we can get pretty passionate about truth, you know, I'm like that. I have to be honest, I, I know. One man had to say to me once, he said, Gary, you've got to know how to handle the truth because the truth can kill. And I thought, what do you mean by that? Because it, it, I can... I can tell the truth but still not have the right spirit or right heart and all of a sudden that can be, it can be destructive. But you see, the spirit, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into all things, into him who is the head, Christ. And this again, maturity. From whom, look at verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. There it is again, for the edifying of itself in love. And there's something about love, that the atmosphere of love, the, the nature of love really, and uh, that when we learn to love, God, the Bible tells us God teaches us to love. So we learn this as part of Christianity and we learn it, amen, amongst the brethren and we learn to love the brethren that annoy us the most. And as we learn, to, as we get in, you know, sometimes, let's be honest, we, got on each, we looked at this last week, we get on each other's nerves, we, somehow things, little, things about people can irritate us and annoy us but really sometimes they're just reflective of things that are in us and we have to learn to love. But love is the atmosphere in which there is spiritual growth and the fact is, is that I have to learn to grow out of those things. 
oh well I might be right what I'm saying about this and pointing towards that but how am I conducting myself? How am I going about things? Because uh, this issue of edifying itself in love is, uh, is critically important to understand. Otherwise we've fallen short and I know I have and I know we can all identify in areas in, in, within this context. But listen also at what is being said here. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Again, this is the issue of the body. Joint and knit together, ligaments. You know, the human body is, if you, some would know more than me, but it's joined together by joints, ligaments, bones, tendons, and it's all interconnected, this one body. And this is the idea that Paul is capturing by joints and, uh, and ligaments. And we are joined and we are knit together. We are one body. And each of us is supplying something to the body in order to cause the body to grow, in order to cause the body to mature, in order to, to minister uh, uh, to one another and serve one another. And this is in the framework of, of love and unity. Each one of us is supplying something. Now listen to this, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. You know, every part does its share, but you know what the effective working is? It's the Spirit of God. Paul would even say to the Corinthians, I, uh, uh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. And really that's how it works. The increase comes from God. But it comes through the, through the gifts that he has distributed and through the ministry gifts here that are identified and in terms of the, the gifts of the body as identified as well and spiritual gifts and all of those things and each of us working together by which each one of us knitted together, each of us supplies something and God is working through us all to accomplish this level of maturity and development to bring us to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Isn't that interesting? The atmosphere of growth is love, edifying itself in love. It says, by which each part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And again, unity of the spirit, bond of peace and the unity of the faith. These will be achieved by spiritual maturity of the Christian. And where this is lacking, we can revert back to the carnality, we can revert back to the flesh, we can revert back to the natural man and where he prevails in the church. It's not pretty, is it? <laughs> But where the spiritual mind, where spiritual maturity is manifesting and coming through, then that, again, brings about the desired effect that, according to the plan and purposes of God. Each of us have a role to play. That's why there's no lone Christians. You know when the Christians say, well, I'm just, you know, I just have church at my house, just me, myself and I. It's a contradiction of the very truth that we've just considered here oh but you know the people of that church they annoy me well that's why you need to be there because you've obviously God's put you there so that you can contribute something <laughs> you know oh I just don't like it I'm just you know we're going to just withdraw and isolate 
Well, that's not right. That's not healthy. In actual fact, people that behave that way stunt their Christian growth. It's true. They're stunted. Because they haven't learned those lessons of maturity that comes through esteeming others, but ourselves, humbling ourselves in all lowliness of mind and spirit. Remember, we looked at this last week in the, those first few verses of chapter 4. No, because, uh, you know, we've just got a chip on our shoulder with pride and arrogance, so, you know, I'll lay it for them. Hello, the problem's not them, the problem's <laughs> right here, you know. So, there it is. But remember, we must walk worthy before the Lord, walk in unity. And we're going to look at this further next week, actually, when I next minister, because Paul is developing this thought of walking. Read it. Read the, in the meantime, I encourage you, if you haven't, read Ephesians again in light of the things that we've discussed. And look at chapter 4 and chapter 5 especially, where we find now these exhortations to walk as we begin to track through these things. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. And the instructions, God, that thereof contained. I pray, God, that we would grow. We would, Lord, develop. And in light of the spiritual gifts that you have distributed, and there's those ministry gifts there, but also there's clearly identified the gifts that you have distributed to all for the sole purpose of the edifying of the body of Christ. My God, I pray that we would come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, that we would come to a perfect man, that we would come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Lord, bring us into that place of maturity. Lord, let us have the the mind of Christ. Let us come with a mind that is humble and a heart that is humble. And let us, Lord, learn to love as you love. And I pray that the body would be edified and would grow unto maturity, knowing, God, that we will be perfected on that day in which you come to receive your bride. Lord, yes, on that day in which you come to consummate, Lord God, this marriage, Lord God of of the church. God, I just bless your holy name. Thank you for our inheritance and the promises. In Jesus' name, amen.